It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Amanda Duffy. It was recorded in March 2016 at AS220 in Providence, Rhode Island, as part of Brain Week, Rhode Island. As a neuroscience graduate student at Brown, I think about the brain all the time. I think about the concept of growth how an infant's brain, the actual tangible substance, slowly grows and transforms to accommodate its needs and given the chance, its desires. It just delights me to think that my brain encrypts my quirks, like becoming a card-carrying member of the Twilight Zone fan club. <laughs> my brain embeds my passions like symbolically adopting Echo, a real-life killer whale. And my brain encodes my obsessions, like singing and dancing to the Phantom of the Opera every night when I was seven. All of this is incorporated into the precise alignment, organization, and specific neural composition of brain matter that makes me Amanda. This personal quality of neuroscience is what led me to sign up as a control for an MRI study at Brown, where as compensation I would receive $20 and a picture of my brain. Before graduate school, I worked at Mass General Hospital as a research assistant, where I learned how to conduct and analyze MRIs. Having seen so many different brains, I wanted to see my own. On December 18th, 2013, I walked into the MRI room and 45 minutes later popped back out, glad to have contributed my brain to science. I couldn't wait to hear back with that PDF picture of my brain. Within just an hour, surprisingly, I already had an email, but there was no attachment. As I read the words, I would like to talk to you briefly about your scan, my stomach sank. I knew from my past experience, you don't get called back to go over a scan unless there's something wrong. Sure enough, there was. After additional brain scans, a flurry of meetings with radiologists, neurologists, and neurosurgeons, it was apparent. I had a tumor in my brain and it needed to come out. The official diagnosis was an intraventricular, left intraventricular meningioma, 
A meningioma is a tumor stemming from the membranes surrounding the brain and spinal cord. Intraventricular means inside of a brain ventricle. Brain ventricles are essentially holes close to the center of either side of the brain, containing cerebrospinal fluid, which cushions and supports the brain. Extracting the meningioma smack in the center of my brain required cutting perfectly good brain matter. I was horrified. I was just starting to hit that point in grad school where things were starting to work. My experiments were beginning to flow. Not to mention, I was newly married and so happy. The plans I had for the rest of my life were just exploding. How could this happen now? The day of the surgery was May 8, 2014. I walked into Mass General armed with my entire family. Isn't this ironic, I half joked to myself. Here I am, a neuroscience grad student, and I'm going in for brain surgery. After I checked in, the nurses came to get me, and suddenly it really hit. Oh goodness, this is happening. I struggled to hold back my tears while hugging and kissing my family goodbye. As I sat there alone waiting, my husband Max comes sauntering back in, smiling. He had asked if he could stay with me until I had to go into the actual OR. And that time we had to spend together was truly perfect. Six hours and 40 minutes later, my amazing neurosurgeon resected 100% of my tumor. The incredible relief of the surgery, however, was interrupted by severe language, cognitive, comprehension, and overall logic impairments, as well as a persistent right visual field cut, meaning that all of you in this room, from about you all the way over to the right, simply didn't exist. I had also developed a very strange compilation of symptoms. I had, when asked to write my name, I took the pencil and weakly scribbled nonsense. I looked at the pencil, understood that I needed to do something with it, but continually forgot what and how to write. When asked anything about numbers, I got so confused and overwhelmed, I just couldn't respond. Numbers were just familiar sounds. I also couldn't distinguish between my right and my left and that my pointer finger was any different from my ring finger. All of these symptoms are deficits of a um, syndrome called Gerstmann syndrome. And it's a rare cognitive impairment which can result from brain trauma or brain damage similar to mine. Imagine halfway through your PhD in neuroscience and forgetting how to multiply, tell time, or understand what the number four is. This immediate post-operative period was very anxiety-provoking and frustrating. There was truly no such thing as a simple question. The doctor would ask me, what is your name? And time and time again, I would respond, May 27th, 1987, which is my birthday and most likely the last thing I said before going under anesthesia. One post-op day, I decided I wasn't going to even respond to questions. 
Finally, my favorite resident, who my family nicknamed Zeus, decided to try something different. He asked if I liked to sing. My family told Zeus about my obsession with the Phantom of the Opera. Zeus jumped up and said, great, I love that too. Let's sing together. The idea of singing seemed so much easier than talking. Zeus's enthusiasm and belief in me and utter love for what he was doing inspired me in that moment to try and sing with him, which I successfully did, although very softly. So many patients struggling and recovering from brain injury or brain surgery would benefit tremendously from that sort of intelligent empathy. Talk about relating to the patients. My incredible care team recognized that recovery requires patience. They slowly rephrased questions when I didn't understand and calmly repeated with me, encouraging me to try. Not only did my care team have an alacrity and drive to help me get better, but they also saw my anxious, exhausted, and overwhelmed family as part of the picture. They recognized that my family's comments and suggestions throughout this process were in fact helpful and informative. For example, one of the tasks that was a real challenge for me was, Amanda, touch your nose. Every single time, I would smile and proudly poke the nose of whoever asked the question. <laughs> my neurosurgeon, many doctors, many residents, basically anyone brave enough to face me and ask the question, got their nose bopped. <laughs> Finally, after watching this over and over again, my husband Max said, try sitting next to her when you ask the question. Sure enough, when the resident across from me came and sat next to me, this new perspective and vantage point seemed so much easier for me to understand, and I bopped my own nose on command. Despite my benign diagnosis, it became brutally apparent that benign does not mean personally non-threatening. Returning home and trying to jump back in felt more like trying to run through molasses. I was disheartened to realize that I had to not only relearn a great deal of my neuroscience research, but figure out new ways to understand it. While most of my deficits have recovered, a few persist. But with the, but with the patience and help of my loving family, my inspiring care team, my encouraging mentors, advisors, and friends, I am able to refocus, develop, and rehearse techniques to help me sidestep my lesion and strengthen my mind and skills while controlling the negative noise, frustrations, and anxieties that can easily derail me. It is my whole experience that dictates my success story. Acknowledging both the good and the bad play a major role in not only accepting but fully appreciating this process from diagnosis to now. I now recognize that I am capable of continuing my pursuit to improve the world of neuroscience. That is truly an empowering feeling. Thank you.
That was Amanda Duffy. Amanda is a graduate student at Brown University pursuing her PhD in neuroscience. Her research is focused on understanding mechanisms that underlie ALS disease progression and therapeutic intervention with use of molecular, cellular, and behavioral techniques. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. It is all from Brooke Williams, Lana Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to AS220 for hosting the show, to Brain Week Rhode Island for being amazing partners, and to Science for not having elections. Thanks for listening.